John chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verse, verses 25 and 26 this morning. Man, what a morning already. Thankful today is an uh, understatement as we are able to celebrate what God is doing in our student ministry. I'm thankful for Josh and his team. They did an incredible job this, this weekend. So let's thank them, of course. A lot of, a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer, a lot of energy, uh, way more energy than I have goes into, uh, goes into a lot of this. So we appreciate that, Josh. And, and you guys, thanks for Will. Will's back there. Wave at us, Will. Go ahead for speaking to us. Will, thank you so much. Will Snipe. Of course, as we know, a church that does not invest in the next generation is a church that's on its deathbed. And so we want to uh, keep that in mind as we continue in ministry, recognizing as we face the future, uh, for us, someone like me who is vastly older than most, um, we face the future recognizing that uh, it is bleak in some ways, and it looks difficult with things that the next generation are going to have to face. So it is foolish for us not to invest in them and teach them God's Word and be faithful to give our resources to them. And this morning is a testimony of that. Even as we are able to see uh, eight of them uh, in a picture that is uh, far more beautiful than I can paint of what it means to pass from death to life. That's through baptism this morning. So we're thankful for what God is doing, and we pray uh, that the gospel legacy of Taylor's First will continue into the next generation, next generation, and generation beyond that. And that's going to take us continuing to invest in those that come behind us. So we want to keep that up. This morning, I want to continue our consideration of death and life as we move toward Easter, considering what Christ did for us on the cross, we've been looking in John's Gospel, and now we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look in John's Gospel, chapter 11, and we'll consider another I am statement. We discussed these last week, these I am statements of Jesus. There's seven of them in John's Gospel. This one this morning will be the fifth one, and it is coinciding with the final of the miracles in, in John's gospel. Seven miracles, the last one being uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So here is Jesus coming into Bethany, meeting up with Lazarus's family. And Jesus says to them in verse 25 of John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let me read that again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for what we've already witnessed here this morning and allowing us the small privilege of being a part. God, we thank you for how you're moving in and amongst us. We thank you for your spirit that makes the proclamation of your word and the worship that we do here this morning not trivial or trite, but rich and true and alive. God, we thank you for Jesus who makes promises to us that if we lift him up, Father, 
that he will draw all men to himself. So may it be our single focus and goal even now as it has been in this service to exalt the only name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We save no glory for ourselves, for that's futile and useless. But we only, only want to give glory to Christ. And so, Father, help us now as we look to this passage to do just that. To with our lives and with our hearts and everything we have, give glory to our Savior Jesus Christ for what he has done. Move now, God, in hearts and lives. In Jesus we pray. Amen. There's an old preacher joke that discusses the statistics of people's greatest fears. When asked the question, what's your greatest fear? And the number one greatest fear is public speaking. Amen? I remember doing that when I was in college myself. My first time I took public speaking, the first uh, speech I had to give, I got to choose the topic, and I chose how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I was terrified to get up and tell somebody how to do that. We all know that fear that's there. But what's interesting is that the Second greatest fear followed right along with that. The second greatest fear was the fear of dying. So the joke is that people would rather be in the casket dead than preaching their own funeral, right? And in reality, we have to recognize these things as true. If we're just honest with ourselves for a moment, there is fear that kind of wells up with us thinking, what's next? Thinking what happens about death, having to confront death. And while none of us like to talk about this at parties or anywhere else, there could not be a greater subject that we could discuss here this morning than how we are going to confront death. How we're going to confront death. And so we want to see from our passage how Jesus confronted death. Jesus, as we see this morning, is confronted with death of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus here was a close friend and family was a close friendship to Christ. Jesus loved them dearly. Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember, Mary's the one who had taken that expensive vial and, and, and broken it on Jesus' feet, anointing him, and then wiped it away with her tears and her hair, testifying to who Jesus is, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the family. This is the family that believed in Jesus. They believed in his teaching. They had heard him. They had seen him. They had witnessed the miracles that he can perform. And so when Lazarus got sick, it's not, uh, it shouldn't surprise us that the sisters sent for Jesus immediately. Hey, go get Jesus and tell him to come for his friend Lazarus is ill. And this was not some illness that was just some common cold here. They knew this was an illness that's going to lead to death if, if, if Jesus doesn't come. But Jesus does something really odd. Instead of hurrying and getting there for his friend Lazarus, Jesus does something different. He stays back for a few days. He stays back. He doesn't go into Bethany right away. And by the time Jesus does arrive, Lazarus has died. And not only was Lazarus dead, he had been laid in the tomb four days. And so here, Jesus comes into Bethany with his friend Lazarus dead, laying in the tomb. And when Jesus enters into town, Martha, the sister, comes out to greet him. 
And she greets him with what she thinks is a word of encouragement. She, she wants him to know what's happened. At the same time, she, she wants to just say some things to him. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Lazarus was dead. Now, in order to confront what's happened here and what's taking place, I do believe we need to go back to the beginning. So if you bear with me for a moment, our tendency sometimes is to skip through some of these explanations, but let me help you to understand where death comes from. The universe was created by God himself. The God of the universe created it by speaking it into existence out of nothing. And the crowning jewel of his creation was Adam and Eve, Man and woman. They were the vice regents. They were in charge. They were put to rule it and to work it. And everything was there to serve them. They were made in God's image. He formed them with his own hands. He breathed his own breath into them. Adam and Eve were the crowning jewel of God's creation. And they were created with a purpose. Not only to bring God glory, but to dwell with him forever. And so there they were in this beautiful garden made by God, created for eternity, to dwell with God forever. And God gave them this garden that was perfect, and he told them, you can eat of anything you want to eat in, the, in this garden. You can eat of any tree you want to eat from, except for one tree. Just one rule I have, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. And there... There's the word, death. It's the first time it comes. And the Lord says, death is a consequence of sinning against me. This was the command that the devil questioned. When he showed up in the garden, remember Adam's response should have been to grab him by the neck, crush his head, and throw him out. But instead he listened to him. And when he listened to him, the devil said, did God surely say? And the devil convinced Adam and Eve of something that you must remember here. The devil convinced Adam and Eve that they were, more, they were smarter than God. He convinced them that they knew better than him. He convinced them that God was trying to keep something good from them and trying to hold something back that could prosper them. And there, Adam and Eve, instead of listening to God and following the command of God, they rebelled against him. And they ate of the tree and the consequences of their rebellion is devastating. The consequences of their rebellion happen quickly. Adam and Eve are kicked out of God's presence. The peace that they had with God is lost in an instant. They're separated from him. And while they physically didn't die immediately, spiritually they were dead immediately. And the physical toll that death occurs on them starts to happen, right? And immediately, death begins to take place even in their own body. The effects of death began. The peace was lost. The peace between God and man, between Adam and Eve, between Adam and the earth, everything was lost. And Paul explains the devastation in Romans chapter 5 when he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so here we have the entrance of death. Death was judgment. Hear me when I say this. In God's good and glorious creation, death was not a part of it. In God's good and glorious creation, death was not in his plan, if you will. Death came in because Adam and Eve sinned. Death is judgment to sin. Death is judgment to sin. 
And we, as Paul explains, are like our father Adam. Just as he sinned, we follow in his footsteps. And we not only inherit his sin nature, but we also appropriate sin for ourselves so that we recognize all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul continues in this and says that the wages of sin is death. For all of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. The judgment proclaimed because of sin is death. And Paul, Paul refers to death as our last and greatest enemy. Why is this? Because none of us can defeat it. There's no power that we have. It is coming on us. And you need to hear, even young people that may not like to consider these things, you need to know that death could come at any moment for any one of us. And we look, we face it, and we look at it, and we know there's nothing we can do to stop it. There's nothing we can do to defeat it. And we look for hope anywhere we can find it. We look for some sort of hope that we can overcome death. We look for some sort of hope that we can overcome the judgment of God. How can we overcome this? There are glimpses of it in the Old Testament. There are glimpses of hope. We don't need to lose those. The first one happens early on in Genesis chapter 5. There's 10 generations listed from Adam to Noah. And as they list out those generations and you see the effects, oftentimes we look at this passage in Genesis 5 and we notice how long people live. But we miss the refrain that goes on over and over again. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years. Wow, he lived 912 years. Don't lose sight of the fact, and he died. Over and over again. 900 and, 905 years, and he died. 910 years, and he died. 895 years, and he died. 962 years, and he died. The refrain that comes every single time is, and he died. And here we see the devastation of sin. It has spread to all man. Death has come because of sin. But even, even in the glimpse of this, even in the midst of, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he dies, a little bit of hope here, people. Because there's this one dude named Enoch. Enoch walked with God and the Lord took him. Even in the midst of and he died, and he died, and he died, there's a glimmer of hope that in the end, death will not have the final say. And throughout the Old Testament, just a few glimpses we see from Elijah and Elisha and the Shunammite, Shunammite's son, we see resurrection happen. We see him come to life. We see just a few glimpses of it in the New Testament with Jesus himself. There as he is with the widow's son at Nain and he touches the casket as he's walking through the funeral. Or where with Jairus' daughter when he comes up to the little girl and say, little girl, get up. And you see how Jesus overcomes death in those miracles. But what's happening here in John 11 is something quite different. There's something more to what's taking place here. Jesus is confronting death face to face. He even says this. When he's talking about it with his disciples, he says, this didn't happen for, for this. This happened for the glory of God. What's about to take place is for you to understand the glory of God. I'm coming to Lazarus, and what you're about to see is about to see how powerful I am and testify to my glory. And Jesus walks up to the tomb, staring death 
in the face and he looks at them and he prays to God. God, now is the time. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And I love John's nonchalant little way. As Jesus calls Lazarus to come out, John reports, and the man who had died came out. In this, this is more than a mere miracle. This is more than a mere miracle. Understand, brothers and sisters, this is a sign for us. It's a testimony, a demonstration of Jesus' true identity as the Christ, the Son of God. As John tells us, the very purpose he wrote his gospel was to show us, to demonstrate us. He chose every one of these events to demonstrate that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And here he stands before a tomb of a dead man, having been dead for four days. And he just simply says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Which leads me to this statement that Jesus makes to Martha. I and the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Remember last week what an I am statement means. I am statement links Jesus directly back to Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was there and he asked God his name and God said, I am who I am. So Jesus is using the same phrase, the same understanding, the same name, and he said, that's me. Jesus is referring himself saying, I am God, I am deity identifying himself with the creator God. We see this also in John's gospel in John chapter one, when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And listen to verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here Jesus is said to have been in the beginning, there at creation from the start. He's the one who holds life in his hand. In him is life. You need to know this morning that if your heart is beating right now, it is because Jesus, the Son of God, is causing it to beat. For all of life is in his hand. And if your lungs are filling up with oxygen, you're not doing that on your own. You can't conjure that up in your own power. That's because Jesus Christ is filling your lungs up with oxygen. Every breath you have is a gift from him. Every heartbeat you have is from the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so therefore, every breath and every heartbeat is from him. He is life, it says. But not only that, not only that, not only is he life here, Jesus wants to make something else clear. He holds life in his hands. But as he comes to the grave of Lazarus, he wants to say even more. He said, not only am I life, I am the resurrection as well. All hope, hear me now, all hope that you could possibly have, that you could possibly conquer death, that you could possibly overcome it, all hope that you could have that death will not have, or have any power over you or any victory over you is found in Jesus. And the only hope that you could have life, life eternal, is found in Christ. Jesus has conquered what we could not conquer. Jesus is our great hero. He's the one who did what we could never do. 
He's the one who took our place, our sin, our guilt, our shame, and he crushed it. He's the one who took the judgment that we deserve, which is death because of our sin, and he goes to the cross and he dies, willingly gives up his life. And there on the cross, Jesus takes death, chooses up, spits it out, and kicks the back out of the grave to say, here I am. Death is swallowed up in death. It's over. Christ has conquered Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the most important question you could be asked today. Really, here's the most important question you can be asked in your life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die, but have eternal life. Do you believe this? And friends, brothers, Sisters, you need to understand that how you answer that question is a matter of eternity. It's not a joke. It's not a game. It's not not something that you put up your coolness factor or your pride up against. How you answer that question, do you believe this from Jesus, matters for you today and forevermore. How you answer this matters ultimate. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, whoever believes, do you believe this? Jesus had brought this question up of belief before. Y'all may not have ever heard of John 3.16. It's an obscure passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish or die but have eternal life the teaching that john uh, that jesus gives in john 11 is not something different than he hadn't already said whoever believes in him shall have eternal life shall never die john 5 24 truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life If you want to pass from death to life, if you want to know what eternal life is, then the key question for you is, do you believe? Do you believe? If that's that important and everything's hanging on this question, then let's talk about what it means to believe. To believe in the gospel of Jesus is to believe in the facts of the gospel of Jesus. To believe in the gospel of Jesus is to believe in the facts of the gospel. And the facts of the gospel is, uh, or begin for us today, is that all of us are sinners. Just as Adam sinned in the garden and death entered in, all of us have sinned against God. If you do not understand you're a sinner, then you don't see the need of this question this morning. But understand and know this, whether you agree with it or not, the scriptures have spoken and the Lord has testified, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. And the only way we're going to deal with death is by dealing with sin. The only way we're going to deal with death is by, is by taking on this sin because sin brings the judgment. And as the scripture says, it's appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. We need to recognize that we have to deal with our sin problem if we're ever going to deal with our death problem. And Paul responds, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
The judgment you get because of your sin is the penalty that you deserve, but there's a gift waiting for you, Paul says. And that gift is life. And how does that life come? How does it happen that we can go from death to life if our problem is our sin? If our problem is the judgment that comes to us because we've sinned against God, then how is it that we can go from death to life? It's because of what Christ did for us. He lived a righteous, holy life. Never sinned. Never did anything where wrong or, or turned against God or rebelled against him. And then he goes to the cross. And because he was sinless, the spotless sacrifice, our sins, the sins we commit, were laid upon him on the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus did not have to deal with his own sin because he was sinless. He was spotless. There on the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin. There on the cross, Jesus took our sin and the very thing that led to judgment, the very thing that brought death, Jesus takes that on for us. Here's our hero. Here's our Savior. The very thing that brings death to us from the very beginning, Jesus takes that upon himself and there on the cross, he crushes death to death by ending sin in its power over us. And whoever believes it shall have life. Jesus does all of this for us through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. And his resurrection testifies that everything he's done and everything he ever said is true. Our risen and living Savior has crushed death for us. And these are the facts. We're sinners that deserve judgment and death. Christ Jesus is a Savior that has conquered death on our behalf and dealt with our sin. And he's alive. Those are the facts you must know. But you also need to know just believing that. The basics of the gospel is not enough. You must believe the truth of the gospel. You must believe the facts about the gospel. But that's not enough because the Bible tells us the demons believe that and they tremble. In fact, Whenever Jesus is confronted by the demons, what is the first thing they say? We know who you are, the demons say. Whenever Jesus is confronted by the demons, we know who you are, and the demons believe and shudder, James says. The demons knew those facts. We must know those facts. But to believe must go deeper than that then. To believe in the gospel of Jesus is to surrender your life to Jesus. To believe, unlike Satan, is to see Jesus as your greatest joy and treasure. To believe in Christ is to see him as the delight of your soul, the hope of your life, the satisfaction of everything you long for. To see Jesus and identify with him is to recognize that there is no greater person for you to know. There's no greater one for you to trust. There's no greater one for you to look to but Christ Jesus himself. He is not the ticket to the party. He is the party. You're not just getting Jesus to get something else. Jesus is your joy and your satisfaction. And while the demons believe he's the son of God, he's not their joy, he's not their satisfaction. For you 
If you're going to believe in him, you must recognize him as who he is, the most beautiful Savior, precious Lord, great Redeemer, the shepherd of your soul who loves you and lays down his life willingly for you, the one who not only died for you but is praying for you even now, interceding on your behalf, the one who sits on the throne and was surely brought you in. He's going to bring you home. He's the one who holds your life in your hands. He's the testimony of your soul. He's everything to you. So if you believe in Christ, it means that Jesus is your greatest joy. He's it. You don't need anything else. You don't need to look for the world or try to fill you with the huss and the scraps that try to satisfy you, but they are not enough. Christ is enough. And he only can satisfy your thirsting soul. And he only can satisfy your hungering life. He's the only one that can sustain you. Christ is the bread and the water. He's everything. And to believe in him means you believe that. To believe in him means you hold true to that. He's your treasure. And you need not look anywhere else. To identify with Christ. What a picture we saw earlier of baptism. To believe in Christ is to identify with him. Buried. Your sin's buried and done. Old life is over. Raised to new life. Saying with the apostle, Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live in the flesh for his glory and for his name. And I do not count my life as any value or precious at all. Only that Jesus be glorified. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to believe. To be unashamed of the name of Christ. To live your life in light of that truth. To believe in Jesus is a life of surrender. That means it is an action that you do. If you believe, then it leads to action. It's not just assent to facts. It is a testimony of life. I walked in this room this morning and I believed that that pew would hold me up. So what did I do? I sat down. So it is with Christ. Do you believe that he is enough? Do you believe he will satisfy you? And if you do, you live for him. And you surrender your life to him. Which brings me to that third point. To believe in the gospel of Jesus is to live the resurrected life even now. Consider the words of Christ. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If you believe in me, you have passed from death to life. And that life that Christ gives is more abundant than we could ever possibly know or understand. Or consider what the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who is it that would dare say death is gain? It is only those who have found Jesus as, the, as their joy and satisfaction. It is only those who have found life that only he can give. It is only those who recognize that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. They are the ones who can say today that dying is gain for the moment we die is the moment we are with him it's only those paul says in fact something incredible to me for me to go on and be with jesus would be far better he says far better to believe in christ is to live a life of victory we already sang it to believe in christ is to live a life of victory over death and sin as the Apostle Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want victory over death. You need victory over your sin. If you want victory over your sin, you need the Savior who died for you. You need the Savior who died for you. Some of you this morning are longing for that victory. When asked, do you believe this? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. What about you? What about it when you're asked, do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? In fact, I believe what happened at the tomb there standing in front of Lazarus is just a clear picture of what happens in the heart and life of every sinner in this room that gives their life to Christ. For the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And not only were you dead in those, you deserve wrath like the rest of mankind in Ephesians chapter 2. But God... Because of his rich and great glorious mercy made you alive together with Christ. And so this morning, I believe what happens in the heart and life of every believer is the same thing that happened at that tomb in front of Lazarus. Jesus comes out and says, Josh, come forth. It's time to live. It's time to find life in me. Jesus comes out and he calls us by name and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Come forth. It's time for you to know this, to believe this, and to follow this. And maybe that's happening to you this morning. Maybe you are hearing Christ call your name and say, it's time. Don't let pride get in the way of eternity. Don't let your thoughts for what others may think of you get in the way of Christ. Don't let your pride stop you from answering Jesus saying, yes, I believe. And knowing that death while it is real and it is there, it's no big deal for those who are in him. For precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Don't let anything stop you from hearing the voice of Christ and coming up out of that grave and finding what can only satisfy you and the only one who has dealt with your sin. Don't let anything stop you this morning. When Jesus says, do you believe? From responding, yes, Lord, I believe. Let's pray together. Father, you are kind to us. You're kind to us in, in showing us your truth and your word. You're kind to us in giving us a Savior that we did not deserve. And Father, I, I thank you for what is happened this weekend with our students and what we've already celebrated, God, how you are still working and you're still calling and you're still standing in front of those who were once dead and calling them to life and they're still responding and God, I pray that that would be contagious amongst us. That God, this morning, there are some here I know that when the question is asked, do you believe this? Do you believe this? They have never turned to you in belief. They've never responded, yes, Lord. And because of that, they're still dead in their trespasses and sins, for their sins have not been dealt with. But your word tells us, God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whatever we've done, whatever our history is, whatever our past looks like doesn't matter to you, Lord. Whoever 
calls on your name. So God, I pray even now that you would call out to those in this room who do not know you, who have not responded to you and have not turned their life to you. You would call out to them and they would see you and hear you as beautiful, King, Lord, Savior, Shepherd, Redeemer, faithful friend. May they see you as everything, God, and find their satisfaction in you. Father, I thank you for still speaking. As we've witnessed already this morning, as we've heard testimonies from this weekend of how you still call, how you still speak. God, help us to hear. If you're here this morning and you hear that question of Jesus, do you believe this? Today may be the day that you need to respond. Yes, I believe. And let that be a testimony to all of us that are here. Come forward. I'll be standing here in the front. Josh will be up here with us for you students. Today is the day. Yes, Lord, I believe. If you want to be a part of a church that proclaims Christ and lifts him up above everything else, today's the day. Come be a part of us. But more than anything else, make sure you know the answer to that question. Do you believe this? Let's stand together and sing.